session on looking at the connections between knowledge management, decision support, and ontologies. So today we're going to the roots of one of those three topics, which is knowledge management and how it supports decision support within the federal government. Our speakers today are Giora Hadar with FAA and Michael Cole with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And both of these gentlemen have been active in the knowledge management field for a very long time, although they come to it from different kinds of backgrounds and so have implemented a variety of solutions at both of their agencies. So today I'd ask them to come and share some of the work that they've been doing in trying to implement knowledge management solutions, uh, both technologies and techniques, that help to make better decisions and allow us to make better decisions as government employees. So our first speaker today is Giora Hadar. Giora and I have actually known each other for a very long time. Giora is the current co-chair of the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group, so familiar to many of those of you on the line, um, and is the chief knowledge officer over at the FAA in charge of their knowledge management activities. Giora has been a leader of the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group since its inception, I believe, um, and has been a two-time leader of that group, two-time co-chair. Uh, he has been involved with a variety of international groups as well, both um, uh, and particularly active with a group in Australia called the International Knowledge Forum. No, I'm oh the Knowledge Liberation Army. I'm sorry, I always get that one confused. <laughs> so um, Giora will be sharing some of the uh, work that he's been doing at FAA. So Giora, thank you, Jane. Uh, unfortunately, as uh, you can see, I was not able to get into uh, the island, so I'm speaking to you from, uh, I guess in your case, off-world. And uh, I will have to talk from the slides that I have in front of me on my computer. And uh, I'm going to be talking about using social computing tools for decision-making. Next slide, please. Just to give you a little bit of background, uh, the FAA is currently working on the next-generation air traffic control system. Uh, this is something which is going to take probably a few years. And uh, in order for us to do a better job at it, we really must collaborate with others in order to improve our decision-making. Next slide, please. The next two slides show you a broad brush of uh, the agencies and uh, individuals around the globe that we are going to collaborate with. Other federal agencies, such as Department of Defense and NASA, the Asian industry, and it's broken down to the various components below that. Next slide. International civil aviation authorities of uh, other countries that we collaborate with. ICAO is abbreviation for the International Civil Aviation Organization, which is a UN special agency. Academia, as well as uh, interested members of the flying public. Next slide, please. We chose uh, a commercial package as opposed to developing something in-house. Uh, it's uh, called IBM Lotus Connections. 
this is a package that has been around for approximately a year and a half, and it comes in uh, five components, and the next slide is going to show you uh, what each one of them does. Uh, profiles, obviously, is like an expertise locator. Communities is where you do various things as a community. Blogs is you broadcast your opinions. Dog ear, uh, otherwise known as links, and activities. Next slide, please. Uh, how do we use it? Uh, obviously, through profiles, you find uh, the experts that you need. You collaborate with uh, your colleagues within communities. You present your ideas as well as learn from others in blogs. You save, tag, and share links in Dogear. And finally, you organize your work in activities. Next slide. And of course, the outcome that we're looking for is uh, to improve everything that we do, the communication among all the stakeholders, the planning process, and most important, as Gene started the discussion, uh, more effective uh, decision-making. Next slide, please. And obviously, uh, questions. I didn't know that at the time when I put the slide together, show together, uh, questions will be taken at the end, and the next slide shows my contact information. I uh, Part of my job is to consult to other government agencies, uh, mostly in the Washington, D.C. area, so there's no charge for that. So come and ask my question, uh, my advice. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Giora. So um, I guess we'll uh, move directly to Michael, and uh, then we'll um, work with questions and discussion afterwards. So, Michael, do you okay. want Okay. Let's see. I suppose I should stand up, right? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, I'll dance the slides for you. Okay. Boo. All right. So um, what we've been doing at, at uh, NRC is starting a change reaction. Uh, basically, we're trying to look at this – is, this presentation is going to be talking about the um, CAM program in general, and then we can talk uh, afterwards about uh, how we're looking at uh, some of the tools and, and so on. So next slide. Okay, so uh, go ahead and, and skip through that. Uh, basically, um, I want to just tell a little bit about the NRC story, how the, how the uh, CAM program got going, and, um, and talk about some of the needs for knowledge management and then what some of the tools that we're looking at and some of the uh, programmatic initiatives that uh, we're moving forward with. So the nuclear renaissance, right? Basically, there has not been a new nuclear reactor license in the last 20 years, and in the next uh, few years, we're expecting uh, anywhere from single to double digits. So, uh, in fact, a new office has been created, the Office of New Nuclear Reactors, and this is putting a lot of pressure on the agency to, to change. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to deal with that and, in the process, uh, capture knowledge from the aging workforce as uh, experts are retiring as mid-level career people are entering and leaving, because there's, there's a lot of movement there as well, and the fact that we're facing another pressure that the demand for new talent outstrips the supply. So uh, Congress recently, for example, gave the agency um, a lot of money to help out colleges and universities to 
to help bring up the next generation of experts in nuclear uh, science. We're also looking at, uh, you know, how social media and Web 2.0 technologies will be uh, transforming the workplace and also trying to change the culture at the same time because these tools, as many of you probably know, aren't very useful if people don't use them or if people feel, you know, they're embarrassed to speak up or they feel stupid or whatever. And so one of the things that I like to say is, you know, as, as you're leading change, uh, one of the most effective mantras is, is is to remove the fears of looking stupid. You know, everybody can be we're, – we're all trying things out with these new technologies, and, and, and that's okay. And so to encourage a, a community of inclusiveness and uh, <clears throat> to keep people from, you know, feeling embarrassed about what they don't know. Um, as, the, as this culture shifts from one of exit to voice, um, what we're trying – what that means is that, you know, in, in any organizational system, when an individual finds that they're running up against barriers, they have really two choices. They can either leave the system, that is, look for another job, vote with their feet, or they can try to change the system through voice, through uh, voicing their opinions and trying to make change. And so we're really trying to encourage people to have more of a voice uh, in their in the agency uh, so that uh, you know they feel that their contributions are being respected, acted upon, and that we are able to attract and retain the uh, the top talent. Okay, next slide. So this is just a brief overview of the of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, Atomic Energy Act, 1954, Energy Reorganization Act. Uh, the mission is basically reactor safety oversight, uh, and basically anything that has, is non weapons grade types of nuclear uh, applications. TMI does not mean too much information. It means Three Mile Island. That is a lesson learned that we certainly want to avoid in the future, and we have and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, how how do we gather uh, best and leading practices, lessons learned, of course, and the guiding stories that can help to be, to be more effective and innovative. Uh, protecting people and the environment is the new uh, branding for the agency. So it's really painting a larger picture that, uh, you know, what is the purpose for this? It's interesting to note that a lot of noted environmentalists have actually sort of switched camps in recent um, years that nuclear used to be seen as, oh, my gosh, we're poisoning the environment. This is an awful thing. Well, what's happened is people have recognized that as, we need, as we're moving away from oil and coal, um, that we, you know, but we're not into the renewable energy uh, types of uh, of, of uh, sources, that there needs to be some sort of um, intermediary uh, energy source, and nuclear is being pointed to by many in, in the industry as, as a potential solution. Now, NRC does not is not an advocacy, advocacy uh, organization for nuclear by any means, but certainly our role is to uh, make sure that uh, as people move into the space that they are protecting people and the environment. Um, okay, next slide. Now, this is interesting. Uh, based on a 2006 Federal Human Capital Survey uh, sponsored through the Office of Personal Management, NRC was, was ranked the number one best place to work, the number one in training and development, and number one in knowledge management and leadership. Now, I just got there in uh, January of 07, so um, I didn't have a whole lot to do with that, but, uh, you know, I'm happy to, to, to sound the trumpet um, and, and certainly try to re retain that position. And there's some interesting reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is, of course, you know, NRC has some of the, the brightest minds in nuclear science in the world. And those folks are paid pretty well and, and given a lot of latitude 
to pursue their their uh, their specialty. So that that contributes a lot to it. Um, getting the best place to work uh, uh, label. Next slide. And if you're interested in this, uh, OPM has the uh, survey online. Who is number two, Michael? Hmm? Well, there's number two is uh, NASA. Oh, those are those people who launched junk into space. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool job. I could see why they'd be up there. National Science Foundation. Okay, this is giving people money to pursue their dreams of discovering new knowledge. That seems like a pretty good job. Who else do we have on there? Office of Management Budget. Yeah, they have the first strength. That's a pretty good job. So it was really a bit of a surprise to everyone that NRC would be number one. But, um, you know, we're going to try very hard to stay there. So let's go to the next one. Okay, so the genesis of the KM program, um, as many in knowledge management know, it's very important to enjoy senior leadership support, which uh, we've had since 2005. We've also developed a governance body for, for uh, KM. As a, uh, it's a bit of a departure from the sort of classic chief knowledge officer role in that we're not really trying to create another stovepipe where people have to go to the KM, you know, the chief knowledge officer with their proposals for CAM and, and that needs to be uh, ratified and so on. We're really uh, pursuing a distributed leadership model uh, where the Knowledge Management Steering Committee is made up of uh, directors and deputy directors and the CAM champions for each of the technical program offices. And so every office has a, has a KM champion and has a KM staff lead. And those, uh, basically it's the people who are, you know, pointing the vision, joint, being the leaders, and then the staff leads are executing. So the, uh, let's see, early 2007 brought me on, and next slide. Slide number eight now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had more slides. For some reason, those last two didn't load up in World, Michael, so just keep okay. talking. Sure, that, no problem. The, um, let me just pull them up on my screen here. All right. The, okay, so the CAM program gained traction in 2007, and uh, the steering committee ratified its charter, its roles and responsibilities. Um, and some of the early projects, uh, two in particular that I want to talk about, one is communities of practice, and the other one is the CAM dashboard. The uh, community practice platform we adopted was Tomoye, uh, and that was Im implemented and is currently going under undergoing a migration and an upgrade to the latest version. Um, uh, more than 10% of the agencies on that, which may seem like a small number, but um, at the same time it's growing uh, considerably, and we hope that by this time next year uh, most people in the agency will be on it and that, that word will spread. The CAM, okay, let's go to uh, the next slide. Let's see. Do you, what do you have? What, what do you have for the next slide? Through the KMSC, the KM dashboard. Yeah, skip the, let's go to that one. So as it's loading up, I'll just talk to it. Um, so again, it's distributed leadership through the Knowledge Management Steering Committee. Uh, we're building communities of practice. Uh, we'll talk about the CAM dashboard in a second. And then some other CAM efforts include include building uh, knowledge sharing into our strategic planning and communications, uh, encouraging knowledge sharing practices, and capturing some of those stories. Uh, we're developing an expertise exchange program, which is 
like a skills mentoring program, but recognizing that it's not really about older people uh, imparting their wisdom to the younger folk uh, or the, the young tech-savvy folks, you know, teaching the, the dinosaurs how to dance. It's really a, you know, anyone with expertise should be paired with someone else who has expertise and that there is an exchange going on. So, you know, there's, there, we're really trying to stay away from notions of ageism and encourage a diversity of expertise to come together to swap knowledge. Uh, the expertise locator, and we also have a, we're working on building that. Um, we have a, a strategic workforce planning system that uh, has five levels of expertise. So what we're trying to do is encourage, through the expertise locator, people to blog and publish and, and create uh, wikis and, and things like that and sort of self-identify as experts, and then using the strategic workforce planning system as a way to provide some uh, third-party verification or validation of that expertise, um, as well as keep, a, keep tabs on what skills are necessary uh, for the agency going forward. Uh, we're looking at new information technologies, social media technologies, and we've also got a uh, next-generation document management system coming online. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip across this Kim steering committee I already talked about and go to the dashboard. Do you have that one? That's fine. The information is available. The slides are available from the wiki. It's just the in-world version. For some reason, it only uploaded half the presentation. So apologies huh. for a second, my folks. Okay, well, if you all can go to the slide that uh, the multicolored slide that says the CAM dashboard. Prototype. This was basically uh, an Excel spreadsheet. It's a very simple and elegant tool, I think, for uh, communicating what people are doing in knowledge management across an organization. Um, along the the left column, you'll see that uh, there are four buckets, and we borrowed those buckets from David DeLong, who wrote a book called Lost Knowledge in 2005, I believe, and broke out uh, CAM. Uh, practices into these four areas. And these are HR processes, uh, knowledge sharing, knowledge recovery, and IT IM solutions. So people, technology, and knowledge processes as well as knowledge recovery. So that we want to share knowledge and then also figure out ways that we can recover knowledge uh, before it walks out the door or out after it's walked out the door. And I won't go through all of them, but you, can, you may see some, some familiar uh, initiatives uh, knowledge capture interviewing is one. Waivers of dual compensation, uh, allowing people to come back as uh, rehired annuitants after they've retired. Um, but we're also looking, you know, at, at building a wiki and uh, looking at succession planning programs. So a bunch of a bunch of, uh, of CAM-related initiatives. And then along the top is each of the offices. So each of the offices, basically, uh, they're doing things at their local level, and the, what the dashboard then does is you can click on each one of those boxes. As it's launched, it, they're actually uh, circles and look like uh, colorful M&Ms, which is very user-friendly. Um, and you can click one click down to the screen that has uh, basically what is the project they're working on, why is it important, the who, what, when, where, and why, and telling a bit of the story. Uh, what are some of the success stories? What are some of the uh, exemplary uh, results that are getting that can be shared. What are some lessons learned? What are some things to watch out for? Um, as well as a point of contact so that if there are other questions, people can people can connect uh, to those folks. So that uh, just got launched, and we are doing some hand-holding to make sure uh, people, un you know, understand how to enter data and, and use it for knowledge sharing. 
The next slide is the NRC's Knowledge Center, which is based on Tamoy, and these are the communities of practice that lie in four, four or five main areas. Uh, as you can see, materials, reactors, waste, management support, and then cross-cutting topics. And so we have a KM community of practice as well as a community of practice for communities of practice for people who want to stand up um, and be community leaders. So what's the future look like? Well, we can't stress highly enough the problem of the aging workforce. And I, you know, relate it to um, global warming. You know, it may not be a problem, but do you really want to take the risk? Uh, but we've also got this incoming wave of new and mid-level recruits. Uh, and we're, you know, we really believe that social media is the future. Social networking works. Uh, Peter Drucker once said that in the knowledge, you know, in a knowledge economy, uh, conversation is the real work. So we need to really capitalize on how people are interacting, collaborating, and sharing knowledge. We're also implementing SharePoint to enable some of those uh, actions, and we'll be looking at uh, some of the new things like Facebook and, and uh, uh, others that will help to uh, facilitate uh, community. There's also, we need to also sort of challenge the high security environment mythos. I call it a mythos because it seems like it's a fear that if we, you know, as we create environments for knowledge sharing, um, we're going to, you know, violate some security protocols. And I think it's very important, uh, if, if, particularly those in that, in this world, to communicate, communicate effectively to the business leaders in the organization what are those real tangible researched and agreed upon security risks because um, as we, you know, move more towards sharing knowledge, we certainly don't want to divulge some of that to, to parties that may use that against us, but at the same time, we're not really sure what kind of threat, what kind of real threat that represents, and ultimately it becomes a risk management question. Uh, and so finally, we're looking at new models of innovative practices for agencies and uh, other ways that we can change to become uh, more effective, more innovative, again, attract the, attract the best and brightest and achieve the mission. So the future is NRC 2.0, which is, again, primarily about people and sharing expertise that relies on both tacit and explicit, explicit sources. Knowledge, we have a knowledge-sharing culture that becomes embedded, so it's not that we're providing incentives for knowledge-sharing. It's just the way we do things. Uh, we're going to integrate our four generations in the workforce that you may have been hearing about, try to change uh, what a career ladder looks like, um, and then look at some of these other, you know, accelerate the rate of learning uh, for the agency, look at social media, CAM 2.0 technologies, and learning 2.0 technologies. So that's basically it. Thanks for your attention. Okay, and, guys. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'd forgotten to introduce you at the beginning. So um, let me just make sure that everyone knows that you are currently leading the knowledge management efforts at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and that your uh, background actually comes out of cultural narratives and organizational storytelling. Right, and that's one of the things that you want me to talk about that? Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting thing <laughs> for this. What's that? Yes, I think yeah. Yeah, okay, uh, well, just real quick, I, my doctorate was in uh, management and organization, and what I was looking at was communities and how people tend to share knowledge within, naturally within communities. So I was using sort of anthropological techniques and basically um, recognizing that people uh, tend not to share knowledge 
through charts and graphs. They tend to share knowledge through, through stories, and stories in the form of case studies or examples or exemplars or, hey, did you hear that Joe or Mary over here is doing this, and what are you doing here? Much like we're doing today. I'm sharing the NRC story with, with you all, and you may take that back to your communities and share that, and somebody may say, oh, well, I heard this and I heard that. And so, it, you know, it, it's sort of recognizing that uh, there is a narrative uh, mode of thinking that uh, is complementary to the what's called the scientific way of thinking um, that can really help to illuminate uh, context um, in our organizations, interactions, and activities, and our roles and responsibilities. Sounds good. So, so far, I have got one hand up uh, from the person from the 613 number. Uh, if you do a star three on your phone and unmute yourself, uh, then uh, you can speak up and please start by introducing yourself. Make sure you get heard first, please. Uh, hi, uh, this is Adrian Walker from Reengineering. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. Oh, great. Okay. Go ahead. Um, Terrific uh, presentation, Michael. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a sort of meta level where one can... Uh, uh, look at uh, the tools that you're looking at and uh, which ones have been useful, which ones have not been useful. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of zeroing in on your uh, bullet on information technologies to enable KM. Um, is, is it possible uh, for your agency to, to share any of that sort of online in a blog or a web page or anything of that nature? Hmm. Well, Yes, is it possible? Um, in sort of a theoretical sense, it is. Um, has it been worked into the culture yet? No. That's what one of the things we're working on. Uh, we understand uh, that we're, we're currently implementing SharePoint across the agency, and we understand that uh, that there's going to be uh, blogging capabilities, but uh, there's limited uh, FTE support for uh, that activity at the moment, although, you know, there's a general sense that, yeah, we need to be doing this, and certainly the research that I'm looking at, I've been looking at outside um, has been in support of particularly wikis. Wikis have seemed, seemed to have held the most value for organizations uh, as well as blogs. And, and so those, those two main uh, expression mediums you know, we think are going to be very effective. Um, but in terms of, you know, what are we doing right now? I mean, we've got the, you know, pretty much PowerPoint, these kinds of venues, um, we hope to to start encouraging people to blog and be part of the KM community. Uh, really, this is what this whole forum is, should be about, is, is about sharing these kinds of practices. But, you know, unfortunately the answer is at this point now. So, so you know, as that progresses, um, would that be for NRC internal use only, or would part of that be, be public uh, for, for discussion with people outside of the NRC as well? Yeah, we're, one of the things that's very exciting um, that we now the, the the champion KM champion for the agency is our deputy uh, executive director of operations uh, Marty Virgilio, who is you know again that senior leadership support that is absolutely essential, and he is very excited about us putting together a nuclear wiki that uh, would be you know available to all stakeholders in the nuclear science community. Um, certainly, there would need to be some sort of oversight and editing to make sure that uh, the you know there's not inappropriate information getting published. Um, but uh, but as uh, you know, as a goal or as a purpose, 
NRC would like to be seen as a center of expertise for all things nuclear in the world. Okay, great. Right. That's a very interesting answer. Thank you. Yeah, well, kind of like, I think, like, uh, and Gene, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, NASA a few years ago, you know, embarked on this uh, goal of, of sort of being the center for, of expertise for people who are interested in, in, uh, in space. Gene? Uh, sorry. Yeah, I was, I was broken at, at a second my question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Real life. You, yeah, anyway, the idea is that, uh, you know, government agencies have a lot of world-renowned experts, and, and uh, the public and, and, you know, our society should be able to take advantage of that in a more uh, direct and online way. Okay. Thank you, Adrian. And thank you, Michael. Uh, Gene, did you say there's a question from the uh, if from people in world? Yes. So the question um, from Amanda Wisdom was, for those of us working to model organizational knowledge and support organizational Sorry, in support organizational um, decision-making using ontologies and ontology-enabled technologies, do you have any lessons learned or other comments about the process of harnessing the natural knowledge-sharing methods, such as storytelling for formal modeling processes? Is that to your? Yes, Michael. Me? Yep. Okay. Um, Well... Yeah, there are. I mean, now we're sort of. I'm putting on my academic cap, cap and um, looking at um, thinking about some of the. You know, you can create cross case analyses. You can you can break down a narrative. Um, you can capture context of narrative. I mean, that, that's really um, a longer conversation. But um, there are. Yeah, there are methods. Um, I I created a a topology for different types of narratives, which include. You know the personal story, uh, the the mythical story, or the origin story, um, scripts, which are sort of another way of saying procedures, um, and some others that I'd be happy to to share with you, but uh, gets into a longer discussion. But if you want to share, if you want to email me, or if you go on Google Scholar and do a search on storytelling and my last name, Cull, K-U-L-L, it should bring up my dissertation if you need some late-night uh, tranquilizers. So, Amanda, did that answer the question? Not really. <laughs> is she, it, is, she followed up with, would love to hear any particular experiential lessons learned that you have related to that. Related to storytelling? In what we're um, Okay, well, let's see. Because you did a lot of benchmarking with it when you were running Amplify. So right. I don't know if there was maybe a particular story out of that experience or those benchmarks maybe that you could share. Yeah. Um, well, I will share one, but I, it's it's sort of a, a warning boy uh, kind of story that I, I um, you know, and I, and I certainly hope that this isn't um, – offend anybody, if, particularly if there's anyone from GSA, but um, there was a woman, the first chief knowledge officer of the government was a woman by the name of Shireen Ramez, and she was over at GSA, and she was enormously talented and had a, had a very interesting program going and was trying to capture uh, business lessons from uh, when they supported the uh, 2000 census. And the problem was when she left, she got a, she went over to AARP and was doing wonderful things over there. But when she left, you know, a lot of that knowledge about how to, how, about that program kind of left with her. 
And so, you know, nearly 10 years later, GSA is still, you know, they're, they're still trying to recreate um, knowledge management in that agency. So I think that it's important. I think the, the lesson from that, from that story, from that, you know, real-world case example is that, you know, as knowledge management evangelists or leaders in our organizations, we really need to try not to, um, you know, we need to practice what we preach. We need to not be hoarders of, of knowledge around knowledge management. You know, we need to try to institutionalize it uh, or, or, you know, spread it throughout the organization uh, so that we can avoid the Mack truck effect, which is that, you know, if, if you or I suddenly leave or get hit by a Mack truck, that the program doesn't die as well. Um, that's a story that I think is, you know, important and helps to guide me when thinking about what I should do next and, and uh, you know, if we should be having rotations for people who uh, want to start uh, getting more up to speed with the methods, tools, technologies, and, and practices and theory uh, and culture around knowledge management. Because, you know, it's a lot to learn. And, and uh <clears throat> And instead of sending everybody, everybody back to take courses or executive education courses, which I used to teach, um, you know, sometimes a uh, dual encumbering or, or that kind of approach uh, may be useful. So I, I, it sort of guiding my behavior, it, it helps to sort of think about that story. I don't know if that's useful to you. Sounds good. And Amanda just followed up with, we ontologists modeling organizational knowledge are drowning in options. But since we know much better how to work with formal sources, we try to force experts into formal expressions. Evidence of methods that work would help counter that. So I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a book out um, that uh, Dave Weinberger just wrote called Everything is Miscellaneous. That um, He's got a uh, presentation to Google that he did that's up on YouTube that um, I would encourage people to check out, particularly those in, into ontologies and taxonomies and and so on. Uh, basically, he's arguing that um, we're we're caught up in a particular metaphor of of knowledge needing space, like you know, books require shelf space in a library, and that metaphor you know is no longer valid with the web. Um, and we can start thinking about different ways of different dimensions of our information and knowledge without necessarily categorizing them. Um, I think that's you know I think there's a lot of pros and cons to that argument, but it's definitely worth checking out. Okay, back to you, Peter. Okay, uh, I can see that there's a hand uh, from a, a participant from the 313 area code. If you would do a star three and check your voice, please go ahead. Uh, Peter? Yes. Uh, this is Ravi Sharma. First of all, I'm sorry for being late. but uh, hey, Could you speak up a little bit? Yes. Okay, go ahead. We can hear you. How is it now? Yes, it's okay. Ravi, go ahead. Um, well, the question is for um, Mr. Hadar, Dr. Hadar, Yoria. Uh, that is, uh, how much uh, of uh, ideas uh, about the next generation of airspace management are being seriously uh, included in terms of planning the future state of the air traffic system. Uh, can you repeat the question because the beginning was not very clear? Yes. Uh, I was uh, 
wondering before you design and actually lock us into the next or at least uh, hopefully it will be evolutionary next uh, stage of the aviation administration systems and technologies um are you have referred in your talk to the various idea input places but i was thinking in terms of actual integration of some of those ideas into possible technologies in the next generation uh let me try to answer that without stepping on anybody's toes uh first of all i have to tell you that i personally am not involved in the actual planning of the system i am however am going to support the effort from the point of view of uh, providing the social computing environment uh having said that uh we do need as i said in my presentation to talk to all the stakeholders to make sure that all of the uh all of the concerns and ideas from all sides are being addressed and incorporated into the planning process the technology some of it may not even yet exist this is why i said we are talking to the manufacturers the airlines the uh, what we like to refer to as the uh, alphabet organizations uh, the otherwise known as the lobbies organizations like the uh uh aircraft industry and what owners of uh private planes uh commercial planes what have you so uh even though the FAA is not a uh doesn't set the standards for other organizations they are however a member of the international civil aviation organization and yes. because of the fact that the US is such a large entity in their organization many other countries like to follow the FAA's standards in order to uh make sure that they meet the requirement especially when they fly into this country so uh i don't know if i answered your question to your satisfaction or not yes yes i think you did in some ways but what is important is to be aware of newer possibilities in technologies such as uh, autonomous uh uh autonomous aircraft such as these uavs and rpvs mm-hmm. uh, broadcasting and managing their own maneuvers based on the faa business rules and guidelines mm-hmm. uh, as well as relieving a lot of burden from a central managed airspace model which is what these towers currently do is the yeah. age when they were designed was when oh if you are on my radar screen you must be an aircraft we got much bigger technologies and better technologies 
with GPS, GIS, and hmm? wireless integration. So yeah. um, we don't need that central yeah. uh, management. Well, you have to realize uh, yeah. that the FAA is in the process of moving from the concept of quote-unquote control to the uh, system of management. We right. would like within certain parameters to allow the pilots to decide how to best fly their aircraft as opposed to being controlled constantly by the air traffic controllers who are employed by the FAA. Yes. And we obviously are at the same time moving from land-based systems to satellite-based systems. So the systems are still evolving. This is why I said some of the technology technologies have, yet, have not yet been identified or developed. Yes. Uh, some of it you can take as a little bit guidance from autonomous uh, air, I mean, spacecraft constellation concept, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. both in the open and in the classified sector. Right. Uh, so that, uh, so that the, these concepts come down to air, aerospace, aerial aviation mm -hmm. type area. And right. same thing has to come in ground transportation systems. Mm-hmm. Where as we get away from these linear roads into 3D transportation systems. Mm -hmm. Right. At least 2D, 2D to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then, then we will be able to utilize the same technology, reusable. Mm -hmm. You're right. That's all I had to say. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Rafi, and thank you, uh, Giora. Uh, so uh, let me just sort of repeat the logistics. If you uh, would like to make a remark or have questions, please press a 1-1 one, one on your keypad so that we can queue people up uh, for questions and remarks. Uh, in the meantime, I actually have two questions uh, for both speakers, actually, uh, and one comment. Uh, this is Peter Yim uh, from Ontolock. Uh, maybe uh, I'll start with the comment because every time someone brings up uh, David Weinberger or Clay Shirky, uh, I would probably need to come up and defend uh, what Clay uh, calls sort of ontologies are overrated. And I, I personally, I think this is all a matter of granularity. When one wants to use semantic technologies to refine your search from Google coming up with 5 million hits to getting the more accurate 20 hits uh, that you can read through, uh, that's one uh, application. But when you try to land a plane or to adjust your uh, nuclear re reactor through some autonomous process that requires the uh, very fine-grained knowledge, uh, that's totally different. And while uh, David Weinberger or Clay Shirky may be right uh, in sort of doing uh, uh, just requiring weak semantics uh, in some of the applications they ha they ha they have in mind. Uh, that won't cut it for things that are 
much more that requires much more granular. I, the, the people at NIST have done some uh, a workshop in, I guess, the research on semantic distance and semantic tolerances, and I, I think people should be mindful that uh, one size doesn't fit all. So, so that's sort of the the uh, remark of, uh, uh, with regard to. Uh, Michael's uh, queuing us in onto the David Weinberger's Everything is Miscellaneous uh, presentation. Uh, of course, Michael is right that uh, there are two si always two sides to the coin. And so thank you, Michael, for, for pointing that out. And uh, I, I actually have two questions. And uh, although they were both brought up in uh, Michael's presentation, uh, they actually... I, I would love to hear both the speakers uh, throw some light on it. One, the first one is, I mean, I, I think Amanda has already asked it, but but I, I'll sort of uh, twist the, the 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 question a little bit by asking: uh, Does the use of ontologies, or at least uh, uh, more formal semantics, on top of, let's say, be beyond? For example, faceted taxonomies are they sort of even getting into the agenda of the next generation uh, KM uh, work, or, or uh, for example, in NRC's uh, next generation document management? Uh, do you either of you see? Uh, like ontologies, ontological engineering, semantic technologies? I mean, getting even onto the agenda. Let me try to pick this up first, Peter. Uh, thank you. Uh, I will uh, go even a step further. I was challenged a couple of weeks ago with a question from uh, IBM. Do we want to use uh, ontologies or uh, taxonomies? And I said, I'm actually interested in folksonomies because to me, Ontologies and uh, taxonomies are somewhat limited, or I should, I'm sorry, limiting. I want to make sure that we encourage people, especially in such a large environment that uh, I described in my presentation, you're talking about people not only from various organizations, but from various countries, which means various cultures to think in terms of what they bring to the table. So if you are talking about in the uh, links, the way you tag them, you really need to think as far as wide as you can and not being limited by an inflexible structure. And as a result of it, I think folksonomies are going to give us the best of all worlds. I, I assume you mean in the social computing context. That is correct, because I described social computing as the environment that we are going to use to collaborate with all of these organizations and individuals in order to help us create the best next-generation air traffic control system. 
I do not want people to come to the table with preconceived ideas. And you see ontologies as being that? I said I wanted to go beyond ontology, beyond taxonomies. I want to use the taxonomies uh, instead. Well, it's not really instead because taxonomies are related to ontologies and to taxonomies. Thank you, Giora. Uh, Michael, your your comments to that? Well, I mean, um, I, I, the question was simple. I mean, is are ontologies or semantic technologies even coming up on the agenda in the planning of next generation? Well, I think yes and no. Um, no in a formal way, but yes in the sense that the way we use language is extremely important and, you know, trying to get people um, just using the same language around knowledge management has been a struggle to me. So I feel like, you know, we're taking baby steps and um, that, you know, that seems to be, I think, uh, would be a future uh, area to, to be exploring. But uh, I don't know. Now, now having said that, um, there is a lot of activity within the program offices. And one of the things that we developed this CAM dashboard for was to help everyone to benefit from what everybody else is doing around knowledge management. So we actually we do have uh, I know at least one person who, uh, at a library of science who's been exploring this, um, and you know and and she she I know she wants to build to get a community going within our NRCs to continue this universe of discord and just <laughs> universe of discourse, not discord. Um, and around the pros and cons of the, the different uh, uh, academic uh, viewpoints. So, you know, I don't know if that's a, a good answer, but uh, I suppose we're working on it is the best I can give at this point. Thank you, Michael. And maybe I'll, I'll move on to the next question, which actually was brought up by uh, Michael, and, and of course is near and dear to me uh, by being a, a sort of collaboration uh, uh, practitioner. Uh, you're you pointed out rightfully that high security, the, I mean, the, in, in your bullet called high security requirement missiles. I mean, uh, I guess enough literature has sort of uh, written up on sort of the conflict or, or the dilemma between uh, sort of uh, security versus uh, the, the, the uh, barrier to collaboration. And how do you or how do both of your organizations try to mitigate uh, that dilemma? Uh, maybe Michael first, since you brought up the point. Not very well, I think, is the answer. Um, and I have to say that I actually feel sorry for the people in IT because I know, you know, as a community, a lot of people get into IT uh, because of the gee whiz factor and, and, and are very interested in a lot of these technologies and are running up against um, governmental uh, rules and, you know, that say that we're in a very, uh, we need to, and Sarbanes-Oxley and some of those things that are, that are creating the environment uh, where people have to work. So they get hit as being the obstructionists when, you know, they're just trying to follow the rules as well. So it's it's a long conversation. Um, we we just got a new CIO in who's uh, he's been here about six months, and I know that he's trying to to make a lot of change. Um, but you know, I think it's 
it's accurate to say you know IT is 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 the can, is an organization that that can tend to obstruct progress, particularly around social media tools. I mean, we can't we can't even get to Facebook or or Second Life within the agency because they're blocked. Um, you know, however, having said that, they've got a very tough challenge, and I, you know, I don't, I don't have an answer, but I do think that some uh, governmental-wide changes need to be made if we're going to foster innovation and make change in the next few years. It's just, you know, things have to change, and uh, you know, I think we need some some leaders outside uh, specific agencies uh, to to talk to Congress and, and try to, to get some of these, look at these issues seriously, um, because it's no joke. I mean, you know, we're never, we're never going to get, we're never going to be able to, to um, use these tools and enable uh, knowledge sharing the way that most of us came have dreamed about for, you know, the last decade if we're unable to uh, implement them in, in, in our agencies. So I don't think I'm saying anything that um, isn't well known. Well, that, that- that's a great answer. Uh, maybe Giora, your your perspective on uh, on the same question and how how has your organization sort of tried to mitigate between the the security risk versus the, uh, the lowering the barrier to collaborate uh, and sharing knowledge. All okay. there. I have to echo a lot of what Michael just said. Uh, we have this uh, unholy war, so to speak, between the need to share and the need to protect. And uh, the move throughout the government right now, unfortunately, is trying to lock down everything. I just got an email message, for example, yesterday that said that uh, soft tokens to get into the agency internet through a uh, VPN are going to be uh, discontinued and replaced with a, uh, a real hardware fob, which is very inconvenient because you have to uh, keep looking at the fob and match a portion of your uh, login, the password, when you uh, get into the network. And the vast majority of the desktops are locked down. Uh, we have not yet encountered what uh, other government agencies have encountered by blocking certain social computing sites like YouTube, Facebook, and so on. But I suspect it may be next, and I'm going to try to fight that as much as I can within our agency because we have a strong need to collaborate, not only internally, but also outside. As a matter of fact, the presentation that I made about the uh, collaboration with other government agencies will obviously have to be done on the extranet, which will, if it happens, is going to be a first in a federal government, because most uh, collaborative environments throughout the federal sector are limited to the intranets for security reasons. So again, we have to fight each battle as it comes, and uh, hopefully we will win small wins that will show the security-minded people within the IT department that they don't have to fear the unknown 
they just have to stick their toe in the water slowly and play along with us. We're not their enemies. We are all striving to work the same mission that the agency faces. So hopefully they will listen. Great answer. Thank you. Actually, I mean, Jean, uh, if, if I may sort of also throw that same question uh, your way, uh, since maybe at least uh, the fact that you you are hosting uh, us on second uh, in Second Life and and even Explorer Island is just one of uh, uh, one of the uh, NASA. Uh, presence on Second Life, I mean, besides others, so social computing medium. Uh, does uh, NASA have a is more liberal or a slightly different take on this, or have you guys uh, figured out sort of how to mitigate uh, between uh, security risk versus uh, the barrier to collaborate? Well, I think there's a couple of things at play. One is that the very um, congressional act, the Space Act of 1958 that formed NASA, stated that our goal as an agency is to share pretty much everything that we know as much as possible with the public at large. So I, I don't know that Giora's FAA charter is so different, but I wouldn't expect that Michael's NRC charter is exactly the same. So, so we're put in this task of trying to really reach out to the public um, to communicate what we've been able to learn through our robotic and, and manned exploration of space and our understanding of the Earth. So there's a lot that we do with educational outreach for the K-12 audiences and through university partnerships. We do fund a lot of university research programs. Um, and we really do a lot of work with citizen participation, both to help let people understand the sort of really fascinating, fun, passionate um, experience of uh, being at a space launch, whether that's in real life or here in Second Life, or whether it's um, understanding the lunar eclipse that occurred last night, or whether it's asking people in our weekly meetings here in Second Life, just general members of the public, what would you like from your space agency? So I think there's a real effort we have there. But at the same time, like like many other government organizations, there's information that we are mandated um, by law to protect. I mean, the same sort of technology that we use to command a spacecraft to launch and execute operations are the same kinds of technologies that they used last night to um, send a missile up to destroy a satellite. So um, we have to protect that information under the International Traffic and Arms Regulations. And so we've, I think we have found a balance. It's not always easy about how to openly collaborate with our both our industrial partners here in America, but also, more importantly, our international partners in just about every nation across the globe and our interplanetary partners on the space station and hopefully soon on the moon. Um, and so it's it's a trick to be able to understand who's coming in looking for information and what in, the information is that we can provide to those different audiences. Wonderful answer. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. I, I now have a uh, person from 313 again, uh, Dr. Ravi Sharma, I believe. Uh, Ravi, if you do a start 
three and uh, speak up. Peter, I'm yes, we can hear. Can I be you heard have to now? Really have to speak up because uh, you you were a bit low uh, on your volume. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. How about now? Yes, better. Go ahead. Gene, uh, uh, wasn't that Gene speaking? Yes, that was Gene Hall. Okay. From JPL. Gene, uh, this is Ravi. Ravi. I just want to bring into perspective the fact that from time immemorial there have been dual use of knowledge. Same detonators that uh, probably the Chinese discovered as, uh, you know, the what gunpowder or whatever. They could be used to build uh, uh, bridges or tunnels through mountains and so on, and at the same time they have been used to destroy people. Uh, second point I want to make is knowledge diffusion. Irrespective of how much we try, and we can spend billions more, uh, it's very difficult to keep a lid on the tunneling or quantum leakage effects of knowledge in society. So uh, democracies th thrive on the premise that uh, by being innovative enough, we can do maximum amount possible of damage control by identifying bad people, by managing them. But to shut off knowledge which is gathered at public uh, expense and for public good, um, that would not be a great long-term idea. Uh, and I have been a part of NASA for the last 40-some uh, years, since 68, so uh, off and on, and therefore I can say this is one of the most open organizations I have worked in from Apollo onwards. You might have some thoughts to reflect on this. Knowledge sharing, containing them within the government intranets is a management and virus and other proliferation issues. But uh, uh, publishing, publishing knowledge that is part of the discovery process by knowledge personnel and by scientists, it should be fairly open. I completely agree with you, Robbie, and, and thanks for your comments and uh, your contributions to NASA. The um, issue, of course, becomes one of the very dual-use technologies that you talk about, and it's it's not even NASA that makes those determinations. It's really the Department of State and Department of Commerce um, based on things outside of, of our agency. So we're just following along with what the government is telling us we can and can't share. But in general, as you point out, um, NASA does have a lot of ability, a, a lot of leeway in sharing the kind of content that we normally create. I mean, the vast majority of content that's generated at NASA is scientific information, uh, imagery data, videos, um, in Second Life, we see that rendered as our Victoria Crater and surfaces of other planets um, brought into the virtual world. And so, I mean, I can't give you an estimate off the top of my head, but it's got to be greater than 80% of the content that's generated NASA eventually finds its way into the public forums. Um, there may be some information which is, you know, sort of still in draft form, but eventually goes, goes out onto our public portal. And, in fact, the Knowledge Management Activities at NASA created the, um, the 
upgraded view of the NASA public portal back in 2003 um, because that was at the core of how we wanted to share knowledge and who we wanted to share knowledge with, which was the folks outside of NASA personnel. And then inside NASA is also a knowledge management um, activity, which looks at, you know, making sure we provide access to all sorts of information, both public and restricted, to our NASA personnel and partners. Yes. As we develop technologies based on these knowledge tools, um, we will have two kinds of advanced activities. One is the um, sharing of information among uh, urgency agencies, and uh, we saw this two days ago at NSF uh, when uh, Susan carried that workshop uh, on emergency preparedness uh, and uh, uh, knowledge sharing and models. The other uh, area is going to be external uh, broadcast of discoveries and findings. Now, it doesn't go hand-in-hand hand very well with the IP, intellectual property issues and legal people, but by and large, I can say in 1968 to 72, I had open access to everything I needed to do work in my uh, Apollo experiments related areas and I was not even a citizen at that time. So uh, that was more like 95% if not 99% of knowledge base in NASA. So it's just a perspective. Of course, uh, being pioneers are always in danger as we always are here to say that new knowledge will be misused and uh, people are looking for easy stealing opportunities. So that's certainly bad, but by and large we have to broadcast knowledge. And I agree with your comments. Thanks so much, Ravi. One last uh, solicitation for comments and questions. Uh, both on the phone and on the chat board and in Second Life. Okay, go, going, gone. Okay, let me hand this back to uh, Jean to wrap up the session for us. Okay, well, thank you very much to all of those people who contributed both through Second Life and on the telecom line with your discussions and questions. And a huge thank you to Gior Hadar with FAA and Michael Cole with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for stepping up and sharing what's going on with um, both of your agencies and looking at some of these issues of, of multi-generational learning and, and capturing knowledge and trying to do that in a way which supports decisions, making better decisions in the government. Um, one of the knowledge management activities is collecting information with no apparent reuse. <laughs> and both of you, I know, are focused very much on, on making available information, which helps the specific decisions that have to occur in both of you, the important and, and public safety decisions that occur in both of your agencies. So, Giora or Michael, do you have any final comments? Well, I'd just like to say, Gene, I think this was a lot of fun. This is the first uh, Second Life conference that I've participated in, and it, the value seems to me to be, um, you know, exceeds ex expectations. So this is great. I'm looking forward to one day when we all have the headphones on and, and uh, 
all that and our avatars. And anyway, thanks very much for setting this up. You know, it's great to give this opportunity to sort of expose those who haven't um, had a chance to really go in and, and check out a virtual world. Uh, and uh, there's several folks in the audience who have been, um, especially Paradox, who have been involved in helping us build out um, Second Life uh, NASA spaces. So thanks to those folks in the world who helped us learn as well. Jane, I would like to add that, uh, unfortunately, because of uh, a technical glitch, I was not able to join in the virtual world, and I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the day when I'm going to be able to do that and experience what others have. Uh, how do they say it? I want to go where uh, everyone else has gone, bef- has gone before. So... Uh, Thanks for inviting me, and uh, I'm always ready to help and to share my knowledge. That's part of my job and my personality. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. So then I'd just like to uh, thank everybody and um, appreciate it. A reminder that our next uh, joint session for the Ontology and Knowledge Management for Decision Support will be held on um, March 31st, if I'm recalling correctly now, uh, March 31st, and that will include looking at um, organizing science information uh, and will reach back to sort of the very close connection between these uh, two discussion areas, looking at how we're trying to use ontologies for organizing that information for scientists and the public to discover new new um, understandings of the universe around us. Okay, a correction on that date is Thursday, March the 20th. Thank you, March 20th. You're right, Peter. Thanks. Great. That Thank is. you. Thanks to all those in the world. Thank you. Bye. Bye.